Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you to Sarita and the team for leading us this morning. Let's see. What am I going to say to you today? What is coming? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're joining us today, you picked a real doozy uh, to join in with, whether you're online uh, or perhaps in the building in person. Either way, we're glad you're here. Uh, just a, a very quick recap. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been preaching a series called Love That Neighbor. Uh, and of course, it's taken from Jesus's parable of love thy neighbor, which we know if, you know, if you've been in a church for years, if you've grown up in a church, uh, if you have a familiarity with the Gospels, you would know that Jesus teaches this. Jesus uses this parable to love thy neighbor. Uh, and of course, we, we know this and we know we should do this. But all of us have those people uh, that we struggle to love. There's just always, you know, whether it's maybe somebody of a political slant, somebody of an ideological slant, somebody of whatever. You know, we struggle to love them, but the, the Gospels are clear. Jesus is clear. We're still called to love, and so that's what we've been looking at. Uh, and last week, I had a look at this topic of loving our LGBTQ neighbors, those who, who are in that LGBTQ community, and, and I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. If you missed it, you're welcome to check it out online, and you can kind of catch up from there, but... Sort of the, the thrust of that message was this idea of love uh, and the reminder that, you know, love uh, doesn't always mean that we don't engage with people. That's not what we're saying, uh, but that's not where we start. We don't preach a sermon to someone first. We get to know them. Uh, we get to listen to their story. We hear where they're coming from. That's what love is. Love listens before it responds. Uh, indeed, love doesn't accept sinful behavior from disciples of Christ. But by the same time, at the same time, love doesn't demand conforming to biblical ideals or to God's commands from people who are not disciples of Jesus Christ. And I'll touch on that a little while later as well. Uh, love doesn't generalize. You know, and, and don't we often do that? We generalize about those people. It makes us feel a bit better about ourselves. It, it kind of gives us reason to not have to love, in a sense. Or, or, or it gives us reason to keep them at an arm's length behind us. And so we might look at the LGBT community, and, and I heard from some people this idea that, well, you know, all people in that community are involved in promiscuous sex. And that's blatantly untrue. That's hurtful. That's, uh, that doesn't help the conversation. That's not what love does. Of course, love doesn't mean I, I conform to somebody else's interpretation of Scripture. And again, I'm going to touch on that a little while later on as well. Uh, love understands my belief. Uh, love understands where I'm coming from. But love listens and, and love gives grace and gives freedom. And then, of course, as I said last week, love is not afraid. Love is not bigoted. Love is not homophobic because God is not bigoted and God is not homophobic. And of course, it spurred tremendous interaction during this last week. And most of you could tell that if you're on our weekly email. Uh, you may well have gotten an email from me on Friday. Uh, I wish I could let you read 
all the emails I got because I think it would encourage you, to be brutally honest. It would encourage you. Uh, you know, I, I had people from our congregation, just like I said last week, who have members of their own family who are part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and they were encouraged that we would at least talk about this. We would give them space to weep at some of the hurt that their family have gone through in church. And we can create space. And, and unfortunately, well, unfortunately is the wrong word. Um, you know, I got a couple of emails from people who are not connected to our church, not related. I don't even know who they are, but you all sent video links. I, I don't know what our YouTube count was this past week, but I think it's probably one of the highest ones we've had forever. Uh, because you guys started sending it out left, right, and center. And I got emails from people who are in the LGBT community. And they didn't agree with everything I said, which is wonderful. But now some of them want to come and have coffee with me. So pray for me as I sit and chat with them and engage with them. I had emails from people who've never emailed me before. Now, that's not an invitation to anybody who's never emailed me to email me this coming week. Uh, I still haven't responded to all the emails I've got, and I, I don't know if I will get there. But I had emails from people who've never emailed before to say, Brian, I'm so glad we're tackling this topic. Yes, I have a belief, and I, and I have a position, and I have a view. But I'm glad that we're at least able to talk with one another. And even though those individuals might reach out and say, well, you know, my view of the LGBT community might be termed traditional and, and conservative, but at least it gives me the scope and the direction to engage with people with whom God is at work instead of us playing God. And of course, there were a couple of emails that expressed a little bit of concern. And there were even one or two that were kind of you know, rudely worded tirades, but I still love you, and I'm still glad you emailed me. I'm trying not to make eye contact right now in case, you know, you kind of feel like that. Is he saying that about me? I, I will never reject an email, even if it is a, a rudely worded tirade. I love you, and I'm glad you wrote to me. Can I just say, White Rock Baptist Church is not going anywhere other than when, where God leads us. We're not going anywhere other than where God leads us. I need to remind you, I'm not the boss here. This isn't a top-down denomination. I'm not a, a bishop or a pope or something like that that says, Thus saith the Lord, this is where we're going. By the grace of God, I have this position of servant leadership. And together we discern what God is calling us to. And so we're not going anywhere beyond where God will lead us. And in that email that I sent out, I, I included the CBWC link to the upcoming assembly with some motions that will be discussed and voted on. I just need to make a quick correction there. I said we're voting on all three motions. We're not voting on all three motions this assembly. We're only voting on the first motion. And then the next two will be part of discussions that undoubtedly we will have as we sit and as we determine where is God leading us. Just like I said last week, here in any congregation and indeed in the CBWC, it's a spectrum, it's a continuum. We have a couple of people on one side, a couple of people on the other, and then this whole middle group that are still determining where God's leading. 
And the CBWC is the same place. So last week, we heard from Ann Smith from the church at South Point. Uh, their church took a vote on whether they would accept uh, members of the LGBT community into membership of their church. And they accepted that. A couple of weeks ago, First Baptist Church in Calgary took the same vote, and they've voted to reject anybody in the LGBT community into membership. Now, neither of those churches, Calgary included, would say that they will not allow LGBTQ members into their congregation. None of us are saying that. And I'm going to touch on that in a moment. But we're saying there's room for us to figure out what God is saying to us. You know, one thing that came through in, in some of the emails this last week is I've realized some of us might not be as aware of our Baptist distinctives as we should be. And that's okay. Uh, you know, we're not all Baptist in this room. We don't all come from Baptist backgrounds. We might come from very different backgrounds. And that's fine. But there's a reason that Baptists hold to certain distinctives. And the pastoral team, we were chatting about where do we go after this series. And a lot of people have actually asked, Brian, can you extend this series? So in a sense, we're going to. And, and we're going to extend the series into how do we love that neighbor while being us? I wanted to title the series, This is Us, but apparently there's some TV program with that name. So we, we won't use that. That's maybe a bit cheesy. This morning, I need to make three foundational statements before we go any further. The first foundational statement is, don't panic. Don't panic. I, I was in an elevator a few weeks ago, and you know, elevators have got like their security things and instructions for what happens in case of a fire. Uh, and I love the one Spanish comment for stay calm. For those who don't know Spanish, I, I'm not Spanish myself. It's reserva la calma. <laughs> Reserve the calm. And I love that. Don't panic. God is in control. God is sovereign. God will get the glory. Do not panic. Yeah, as I work on this concept or as I talk about don't panic, I'm reminded of that cliche joke about how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? What do you mean change? <laughs> now, that's unfair to Baptists because the reality is that's just people groups. People groups generally tend towards homeostasis. That's the scientific term for we stay the same. Nobody rocks this boat. Nobody makes us uncomfortable. Nobody changes. We just, we want to stay like this. No one likes change. It's too uncomfortable. But there is only one thing in all of existence, or I should say there is only one person in all of existence who is unchanging, and that is God. The rest of us will change. Churches will change. And when I talk about White Rock Baptist Church will need to change, I'm not saying that because over here we might not believe X or we might not practice X that suddenly we now have to. Uh, no, it's just common knowledge that any church that wants to grow and remain able to present the gospel to the world around it has to change. 
I pray that White Rock Baptist Church will outlive all of us. But I'm pretty sure it's not going to be called White Rock Baptist. It's going to change at some point in the future. It's going to look very different. But as long as God is still glorified and Christ is still worshipped, then we don't need to panic. So don't panic. The second foundational statement I need to make has to do with the Bible. I believe in the supreme authority of Scripture. In fact, I would suggest it's probably one of our top distinctives. Biblical authority. Perhaps behind the Lordship of Christ. The Bible is God's word to us. But when I say I believe in the supreme authority of Scripture, I believe that Scripture needs to be rightly handled and rightly interpreted. We cannot be lackluster in our reading of Scripture. Please don't ever come to me and say, the Bible says. The Bible says nothing. You and I interpret what the Bible says. And I know some of you Billy Graham fans are now planning to send me to Siberia. Because Billy Graham always said, the Bible says, the Bible says. Yes, indeed, the Bible teaches. The Bible guides. The Bible gives us direction. The Bible is our authority. But it is our authority as we in community interpret it to make sense of what it is saying to us in the here and now. The church has a terrible history of using the Bible to say things that it clearly does not say. We've used the Bible to support and mandate slavery. We've used the Bible to support and mandate the subjugation of women. I mean, it's clear. The Bible says women have to be silent and cannot teach. We know that's not true. We engage with it and we, we try and determine what is Paul saying in this place. You know, I, I'm reminded that even John Calvin, uh, who, who added so much to our theology and our understanding and our doctrine, even John Calvin had people executed in Geneva because they weren't going to church. So starting next week, we're taking attendance. <laughs> The Bible is the word of God to us. The Bible primarily reveals the gift of grace. It tells the story of redemption, forgiveness, and adoption into the family of God. Yes, it has a lot to say about how disciples of Christ should live their lives in the here and now. The problem is you and I can't agree on what it says. So we label and we name call those who sin differently to how we sin. Or, or we say that, uh, no, they're, they're not understanding scripture properly. And we ignore our context, we ignore our culture, we ignore kind of where we're at and why we might come to those places. You know, there are parts of Africa where in the Christian community, alcohol is an absolute no no. It is a sin. There's no room for any alcohol use. Yet you can go to other parts of the world where alcohol is part of life. And of course, I don't mean alcohol abuse and I don't mean drunkenness. 
But we would kind of go, but, but no, you can't get that from the Bible. Yet that's what they do. So with integrity, when we affirm the Bible as God's word to us, let's not be so arrogant as to believe that we are the sole custodians of biblical truth because that's what we believe. No. Let's acknowledge that we're doing the best we can. And in community, we're trying to determine what God is indeed saying to us through Scripture. Dare I say it, for disciples of Christ, when it comes to the authority of the Word of God, compare yourself to Scripture, not to other people. You see, when you compare yourself to other people, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to look and go, well, I don't sin like that, so I'm a better Christian. I'm going to be closer to the throne in heaven. I sometimes joke that my wife is a way better Christian than me. She's going to get a mansion. And all I can hope for is to be the pool boy that cleans her pool in heaven. But we do that. We, we kind of go, hey, I'm a better Christian. I, I'm up here. Or the, the flip side of that is we compare ourselves and we go, I'm never going to match up. I'm never going to be there. I'm a terrible Christian. No, don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to the word of God. In community. And then the third and final foundational statement I want to make before we go into scripture today is that we, White Rock Baptist Church, the community of disciples in Christ, we have a God-given, Christ-instructed, spirit-enabled calling while we are here on earth. And you might kind of ask, well, why are we here? Why is White Rock Baptist Church here in this place at this time? And, and why are you in this church? Well, I believe that fundamentally we're here to worship and serve God. That's the horizontal component. And we're here to make disciples. That's the, um, did I say horizontal? Vertical. Vertical, horizontal. We're here to make disciples of others who worship and serve God. Some of you have heard that quote, mission exists because worship does not. We go out to make disciples who worship and serve God. That is why we are here. I want to read a, a parable to you that, was, that came out in 1984. Many of you have heard it, but I think it bears in this series that we're doing. It, it has bearing for us, and so we need to hear it again. If you want to close your eyes and imagine while I read this, I'm going to invite you to do that. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, went out day and night, tireless, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought. And new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station 
were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge for those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club's initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin and some had yellow skin. And the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. So let me ask you again, why are we here? Why is White Rock Baptist Church in this place at this time? And why are you a part of this church? I believe it is to reach those who do not know Christ. And what will Satan do to try and distract us from saving the lost in, in, as that parable highlights? That's right. He will try and divide us by getting us to argue by getting us to hold positions and, and expecting others to conform to our positions. Getting us so entangled over debatable matters that we lose sight of the real call on the church. And I know some of you might hear what I've said there and kind of go, wait, Brian, are you saying the LGBTQ uh, conversation is a debatable matter? Well, yes and no. And you're right, that sounds like a politician, but hopefully as we journey through this, you will come to see what I mean by that. So let's turn to scripture. What is one thing in the midst of a few things that scripture could teach us that might reveal how we navigate this journey? 
Now, I know, and, and some of you might hope that, well, Brian's talking about LGBTQ, so hopefully he's going to jump to Paul and, and bash people over the head about sexual immorality. Uh, hopefully he's going to find some verse that says something about homosexuality and, and use that. And, and I could do that. But I don't believe that extreme is the place we start. Uh, of course, I, I could go the complete other extreme, And say that, well, it's actually all about you and the problem is you. And forget about the speck in your brother or sister's eye. Deal with the log in your own eye. Or those without sin cast the first stone and and deal with holiness in, in your own life. But again, I don't think that would be productive. How might we find what scripture says in that middle space of tension that might hold those two extremes Uh, Not ignore them, not refute them, but hold those extremes. And I think scripture does that for us in Romans chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans 14. It will be up on the screen as well. And I'm going to read the whole passage this morning. Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason... Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge me. So then... Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. 
Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine, sorry, or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everyone, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now, I know that passage primarily and contextually is dealing with food and alcohol. That's the context. But there's more to it. There's, there's a principle that comes out. And right off the bat, when Paul talks about one whose faith is weak, as we read through this, I don't want anybody in this building or anybody watching online to go, I think Brian's saying my faith is weak. No, not at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying your faith is weak or strong, depending on whether you believe the LGBTQ conversation to be sinful or not. We must let the entirety of Scripture speak, not just a few verses. And that's why we use a passage like this in the entirety of Scripture, in community, to say, what is God saying to us as we seek to love our LGBTQ neighbors? There are three thoughts Three points that come out of this. And I know some of you are panicking going, Brian, you had three foundational statements. It's nearly 11. Uh, you know, the last few weeks we've been going to 11.30. We're not going to do that this morning. Don't panic. The first point that jumps out from this passage of Scripture is fundamentally every single person will stand before God and give an account of their life. Every single person will answer to God. They will answer based on their response to Christ. And in some way, yes, they will answer based on their choices and their actions and their deeds. And many of, or some of Jesus' parables, sorry, have that image of, of people giving account before a king. Giving an account of their lives and their words. Now, of course, our salvation is not based on works. We don't earn our justification. We don't earn our standing before God. It's not based on that. It's based on faith in Christ alone. But even so, Scripture still says every one of us is going to stand before God at some point and give an account. And this is what we Baptists talk about when we talk about religious liberty. Religious liberty isn't an excuse to just do whatever you want and to practice license. That's not what religious liberty means. In fact, it was the early Baptists who fought the hardest for the idea of religious liberty because what they said was no one should be coerced into what they believe. 
Everyone should have the freedom to believe what they want to believe because ultimately they're going to answer to God, not to human judges. And so while I would encourage the atheist to, to find God, to, to understand the grace of Christ, that atheist is still fundamentally free to remain an atheist because he or she is going to answer to God. You know, I preached a sermon many years ago where my title was, It Doesn't Matter What You Believe. You better believe some people were really horrified that I would say that. But it was because I said, it doesn't matter what you believe, because at the end of the day, you're going to bow before Jesus Christ. So therefore, it matters entirely what you believe in this life. But regardless, you will give an account before the Lord. Fundamentally, every person will stand before God. Secondly, Paul tells us in this passage to accept the one whose faith, and when I say to accept the one whose faith, obviously the faith is in Jesus Christ, a disciple of Christ. Accept the one whose faith allows them to do what you think they shouldn't do. Why? Because, number one, they're going to stand before God. Judgment is God's alone. The important issue is faith in Christ. And so when, when we at White Rock Baptist Church say that we seek to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world, I don't want us to be like one of those life-saving stations that becomes this little social club and we only focus on, hey, we're a loving community. We just sit around and we sing Kumbaya. And we hold hands and we eat a lot because that's what all people do in those social groups. No. We are a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ. And so we encourage one another to grow in their faith in Christ. And so we sang a version of the Apostles' Creed. Because we want to remind ourselves what are the fundamentals of our faith. What do we understand about our triune God? What do we understand about salvation? You know, when, when the Apostles' Creed and multiple creeds that have been written all through history, they've been born out of people having debates like this and going, wait a minute, what are the, what's the important thing? And almost all the creeds come back to God. And the rest of how to do life, well, that you figure out. You figure that out yourself because it, it's God who determines. Ages ago, Pastor Jennifer preached this sermon and she said, Only God can judge you. And he will. But don't panic. She's obviously been around me too long. But that's true. Only God can judge and he will. But don't panic. Because God is good. And God takes us where we're at. And God leads us as we try and as we grow in this thing called discipleship. And so this is why we struggle here. Because for too long, we've, we've accepted certain things. And we've just said, well, my teacher told me that. So therefore, it must be true. In my last church, we had an elder who, who firmly believed there is no ways women could preach or teach or be pastors. Because in his mind, the Bible plainly said that. It was clear. 
And so we would have these discussions, and he would be like, no, Brian, the Bible says. So we did an eldership course with a group of elders and a whole group of men, and we wrestled and we engaged. And there came a point in this journey where this same elder, in a group meeting, said, you know what? I've just realized that maybe what I've believed is not true, or at least not true anymore. Maybe as we engage with Scripture, there is place for women to be used by God. And maybe there are places where they're gifted to be pastors and to teach. And I'm glad that we're in the CBWC that has been ordaining women for more than 50 years. Because we've wrestled with Scripture. And for some of us, that's the difficult part. Because it, it's not just wrestling with Scripture. It means we've got to say, well... I've grown up understanding this, and I, kinda, I don't want to mourn that loss. I, I don't want to be perceived as being wrong, and I certainly don't want to make it look like my teachers were wrong, and I'm not saying our, our forebears were wrong. This is part of the journey. It's part of the process of discovering what the Word of God says to us in this context. Of course, you might go, but Brian, what if I believe, like many others, that the LGBTQ is, is a, that position is a choice and it's, it's sin. Well, then I would say in grace and with love, talk to believers in the LGBT community. Seek to understand why they believe what they believe. Seek to understand and, and graciously share why you hold to that position. But ultimately, accept Accept in Christ those whose faith in Christ might allow them to do something different to you. And then lastly, what jumps out from this passage, do not put a stumbling block in front of those coming to the Lord. Do not put a stumbling block in front of those coming to the Lord. So now this doesn't mean don't speak up and share what we believe Scripture to say. We need to do that. After all, I just said, Scripture is our authority, so we've got to go back to the Bible, and we've got to try and make sense of how this is guiding us to do life. But it means don't put a stumbling block and prevent people from even getting to that place of hearing the gospel. You know, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, even Paul had to journey in his faith and his understanding. And I love, through the book of Acts, as Paul goes on his missionary trips, we find what appears to be a contradiction. When in one trip, Paul finds a convert, or makes a convert, I should say, and has that convert circumcised. And then in other places, Paul doesn't. And you kind of go, but hold on, that looks like a contradiction. No. Paul understood we need to work out in this context what does salvation look like? And how does it play out? You know, some of us may have been raised in very legalistic, rules-based environments. And you know, we're likely to practice freedom to a greater extent than those that haven't. And so Paul says, don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody else. Don't put that thing there that might make them think, well, I've lost my salvation because I'm not doing what you're doing. No. 
win them over through, through conversation, through holy living. I still believe the Bible calls us to holy living and holy example. Win them over through that, not with condemnation. So how would those three points, and yes, there's way more in that passage, but how might that look practically for White Rock Baptist Church? You know, right now, I'm not talking about does White Rock Baptist Church need to vote to accept LGBTQ members into membership. Maybe, maybe that'll come and we'll do that as a journey together and we'll dialogue and we'll discuss and we'll pray and we will read scripture and we will fast. But that's not what I'm talking about. We don't have members of the LGBTQ community banging down our doors trying to get into church. And that breaks my heart. But what would it look like if the marriage course that we're running in a few weeks' time, which I hope you've signed up for and I hope you're joining, what would it look like if perhaps a gay couple joined in that? Are you going to be comfortable with that? Is it going to cause fear? Or joy. You know, we're, we're doing some incredible things in our Sunday school. We have amazing children's programs during the summer. And often after those summer programs, kids want to come to church and they drag their parents. And what happens as our community slowly changes? It's part of our community. What happens if a family comes in that don't look like what we think a nuclear family should look like? Will we celebrate or will we be afraid? What happens if in church on Sunday, again, someone who doesn't look like someone we kind of feel comfortable with? What, what if somebody in that LGBTQ community joined us for church on Sunday? You know, I, I mentioned last week that this is an issue in our congregation already. You know, Hannah already has kids who come to youth who are part of this community. And they come to church. Sadly, many in that community are afraid of being exposed or afraid of being judged, afraid of being ridiculed, and they hide. White Rock Baptist Church, I'm not telling you to change your belief individually, but we've got to do a better job of loving the people in this community who, who need to find God and find what Christ has in store for them. Do not put a stumbling block in the way. Remember that illustration of the life-saving where they built showers outdoors? You know, this is a line from one of the Casting Crown songs where, where they sing, God's got to change your heart before he changes your shirt. And that's part of our problem. We want people to change their shirts out there before they even get in here to hear the story of redemption and the gospel of grace. That cannot be. That cannot be. I was reminded that many years ago, this church had a funeral for one of the Hell's Angels members. I bet there were a lot of uncomfortable people at that point. And that's good. Because God's at work in that place. How do I close off? I know for a lot of you, you, you might be sitting going, well, how do I take this further? How do, I, how do I stretch myself? Before I even worry about congregation, how do I stretch myself? You know, in that email that I sent out on Friday, I gave a link to the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada for a whole bunch of resources. And, and you might read through those resources and almost get overwhelmed because there's so many books there. 
You know, so many of us would probably be really comfortable reading Stanley Grant's book, Welcoming But Not Affirming. Uh, he takes a traditional view. And, and maybe you want to start there if you've never read into this topic. If you're really prepared to engage, you want to be stretched, I would encourage you to read David Gushy, Changing Our Minds. And even the title scares us because we don't want to change our minds. But I would encourage you, prayerfully, humbly, sit before Christ and say, God, would you lead me and would you lead us so that we might determine where you're taking us? I close with two images from Scripture. One from Isaiah chapter 56 and the other from Revelation chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 56, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and, and Israel has a very narrow understanding of their identity and their calling. They believe they are chosen, they're perfect, they're the holy ones. Israel believes only they will come before God, and they had some very strict rules for those who could not even come into the temple. If you had any physical defects, if you had anything that set you apart, if you were another culture, another race, in fact, the inner temples, if you were a woman, you couldn't even go there. So they had this really narrow view of who could come into the presence of God. And so in Isaiah 56, God speaks to Israel. And in verse 7, he says, these, uh, these foreigners or those previously excluded, these I will bring into my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will still gather others to them and others besides those already gathered. Our God's arms are far bigger than we could ever imagine. He reaches into places you and I would dare not go. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners, yet many of us proudly boast that we have nothing to do with sinners. And then John has this image revelation of heaven and in revelation chapter 7 john says after this i looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, let us pray that White Rock Baptist Church would be that place where people declare salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge that this topic generally is so difficult for us. It, it, it seems loaded with landmines, with challenges, with, with already our understanding and perhaps some of us what we would call a belief in what Scripture says. And so we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to engage. But God, we know from your word we're called to love. 
And we're called to share Christ. We're called to worship God. And sometimes that means we're going to go into places where your spirit is at work, which make us really uncomfortable. And it means people are going to be brought into this community that maybe unsettle us. They rock the boat, as it were. But God, I'm reminded that you are in control of all things. And even as the boat rocks, you remind us, don't panic. I am sovereign over creation and over all things. God, you will calm those storms. And you will draw men and women to yourself. God, would you use us in that place? Help us to, to share Christ, to share our very lives, so that as we worship you, we might find others coming in and worshiping. And God, we're, we're so hung up in changing shirts. We're so hung up in getting people to conform to, to our view that we often miss what you're doing. God, help us to extend grace in those places. Help us to navigate that tension between my belief and your belief. If, if we both worship Christ and help us to extend grace to one another. For you are the Lord of grace. Yes, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There will come a day when every person will stand before you, Christ, and will give an account for their life, their choice, their actions, whatever. God, remind us that you are the judge and that we can walk with a lot more forgiveness because we can walk in you. We don't know what the next few months and even years will look like for White Rock Baptist Church or for the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada. Some of us are, are gung-ho to change everything. Others are afraid and don't want to change anything. God, whatever happens, may it happen because we prayerfully submitted to you and we allowed your Holy Spirit to lead us. And through all of that, just as Jennifer prayed at the beginning, may we be one because you are one. May we be united by our faith in Jesus Christ. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.